All right, now the scriptures. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Beginning in verse 43. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived with him was a mob. With swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, his betrayer was given, had given them a signal. The one I kiss, the betrayer, of course, is Judas. He said, he's the one, arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, or Rabboni, and kissed him. And they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out with me against me with swords and clubs as if I was a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain young man, wearing nothing but a linen cloth, This is a classic verse just thrown in here, right? This is like a nail in the side. It's like out of nowhere, right? And a certain man with a linen cloth was following him. They caught a hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. Now, this is only in the book of Mark. Most people think it was John Mark uh, that was actually the kid that ran away. Um, He's probably 12 to 14 years old. And the book of Mark, as we saw in the beginning, Peter is probably dictating the book of Mark to John Mark to write down. And so here we have this guy, whoever he is, running away. Now, we have many days of infamy infamy in our country. We had Pearl Harbor when the Japanese snuck up to us and had the sneak attack. And and FDR said yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by the empire of Japan, right? We had the Great Depression in 1929, the stock market crashing. We had uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. We have Martin Luther King assassinated in, in Memphis on April 4th, 1968. We had the, the day that the Supreme Court handed down Roe versus Wade in 1973, right? The decision legalizing abortion. We had September 11th, and of course we all remember that, most of us do anyways, when the Twin Towers were attacked. And so we have all these days that we can look back on and go, oh my goodness, those are horrible, but yet none of them even compare to the betrayal of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've all had our, perf- per- per- uh, our personal moments where we've had uh, infamous things happen to our own personal lives when we can look at those. And yes, they're heartbreaking, and yes, they're hard, and yes, they're devastating. But to betray the man that was fully God and fully man who came because of his great love for you and for me with a kiss... That should be beyond our comprehension. It's so catastrophic, the betrayal of Judas's kiss. 
I mean, to go up such indescribable light that shined in the darkness, to go up against such great love and compassion and mercy, the Son of God, is beyond, in my mind, understanding, yet I do it all the time. We're prone to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes in our words, our actions, our deeds, our lifestyles, our heart's not fully with Him, whatever it may be. But here we have Judas. Judas was with Him as we saw Three and a half years, he saw this indescribable light on a daily basis. He saw him healing and moving and, and, and touching and loving and, and even rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, they, Judas should have known better, right? But he didn't. Why? What was in Judas's heart that kept him from fully embracing the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, it says what he gave him up for. It says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, listen to this. This is so phenomenal. What are you willing to give me? Notice that. What are you willing to give me? The unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. What are you, what are you willing to give me? And then he goes on to say, if I deliver him to you, and they counted him out 30 pieces of silver. So from that time on, he sought opportunity to betray him. If you were gored with an ox in the Old Testament, if you were a slave and you were gored with an ox, that's what your price would be. If, I, if, 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 if you were a slave. 30 pieces of silver. For the price of a slave, and of course we know this was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would give up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but for a price of the sa a slave that was gored with an ox, Jesus was traded. An insanity. This is the value that Judas had placed on the Son of God. This is the price that people place all the time on the Son of God. When men sell themselves for a crust of bread and they walk out on their families or whatever, whatever it may be, or, 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 or we give in to drugs and alcohol or whatever it may be, this is the price. 30 pieces of silver. What is your life worth to betray the Son of Man? What was going on in his heart? <laughs> now, remember Jesus was a thief, right? He was the one that would steal money out of the purse constantly. You know, remember he got so mad. We looked at it a, a couple of months ago that when 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 uh, 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 Mary comes in and breaks the alabaster jar in, in an act of worship and pours the perfume over over Jesus's head, the, Judas begins to stir up the crowd. Look, this could have been sold and given to the poor, right? It's three hundred denarii, three hundred days worth of work, and you're just pouring it on Jesus. Well, he wanted to steal the money. His heart wasn't with them. And he wanted to steal the money. And although I am sure his sins were many, <laughs> the Bible very clearly says that his sin was the sin of covetousness. I want more. What 
will you give me? I want it all. And so this sin of covetousness, the ungodly desire for more, is going to take Judas out. And even when Judas thought that, that Jesus was... See, you got to understand something. Some people say, well, Judas thought that Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom of heaven uh, on earth. He was going to crush the Romans and, 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 and all this wonderful stuff was going to happen to Israel. No, that's not why Judas did it. Judas, Judas knew that if Jesus crushed the Romans, he would get a prominent place in Jesus' kingdom. That he would get prestige and power and fame and money, possessions, all of it would be given to Judas. And so when Judas came to the realization that he wasn't going to get anything that his covetous heart wanted, he goes to these guys and says, I will, what will you give me? I'll betray Jesus. It's crazy. He's going to take Jesus out, so he thinks, right? Because money was the master passion of his life. Guys, it is an empowerful, intoxicating sin. Materialism, covetousness, greed, they're very intoxicating. It's extremely dangerous to a person who is willing to betray Christ for it. And I think this is a great warning, right? Warning for us to be cautious that nothing in our life takes the higher seat than worshiping Jesus Christ. That nothing becomes a priority in our life outside of worshiping, glorifying, honoring, and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look at this story, and we're going to look at the Pharisees in just a second. And we see both of them. Their gods were money. You see, money was a new religion to these people. And I think it's a new religion to us in this nation as well. And it's, I love what Randy Alcorn says, materialism has become a new religion. He says this, he says, God created us to love people and to use things, but materialists love things and use people. Like the Pharisees. Webster's Dictionary gives us a definition that says, a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. And Judas had this 30 pieces of silver for two days, and he never spent a dime of it. Matter of fact, he goes back into the temple, and he throws it, he hucks it in the temple. And even though he said, what will you give me? And he took what they gave him, he still never spent it. He never got to enjoy it. A lot of people that will end up like that. You can't be buried with a Ferrari. Well, you can be, but it'll turn into a pile of rust. You can't take it with you. I don't know about you, but I have never in my entire life seen a Hearst towing a U-Haul. Ever. Right? Yet it owned him. It took possession of him. It became his religion. 
And we'll see in a minute it'll become the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrins and the, and the elders and the scribes. Religion. <laughs> Jesus said it would have been better if this man never had been born. Verse 43, while they were still speaking, one of the twelve suddenly arrived with him a mob, the religious Gestapo. And this is the culmination of his betrayal in verses 44 and 45. His betrayer had given him a single, this one kiss. He said, he's the one, arrest him and take him away under guard. So he came immediately. He went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Guys, he reaches out and he embraces him. This is shocking. This is mind-boggling. The, the word is kataphileo. Phileo means brotherly love. Kato means to kiss fervently. It, in the Jewish culture, if you had an intimate relation with, with somebody that you love, you would kiss them over and over tenderly. So he comes up and he just doesn't give him a kiss, but he kisses him tenderly like, like somebody that you would, would, would be your best friend or, or, or whatever. This just wasn't a... Jesus, in his great love and compassion and his mercy, we read otherwhere in the scripture, he says, friend, friend, why have you come? Jesus never gives up on him even to the last second. Friend, why have you come? <laughs> wow. Anybody in here knowing what was going to happen would have done that? None of us. Because we do not have the love and the compassion and the mercy as the Son of God. We aspire to it. We'd love to have it. But when it comes right down to it, at least, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know. Maybe you guys are all like Jesus more than I am. I don't know. But when it came right down to it, the last thing I would have done is call this guy friend. Yet this is shocking, but I ask myself all the time, every week, when I'm laying my head on my pillow at night, Garrett, have you done this to the Son of God? Have you betrayed Him with whatever it may be? A career, a relationship, a friendship. Has there been somebody that you loved? You see it all the time, right? You, men and women betray their spouses all the time with a kiss. <laughs> with a lie deceiving, hypocritical. I've seen so many people. Maybe you've had it done to you. <laughs> Maybe you've been betrayed with a kiss. Maybe it's the other way around. A spouse walked out on you or cheated on you or hurt you or a boss used you and abused you and promised you this, that, and the other thing and then let you go for somebody else or whatever it may be, right? I mean, everybody's experienced betrayal. We looked at that a few weeks ago. I don't want to get too much into it anymore, but here Jesus moved with compassion. And then all of a sudden, here's great Peter. I love this guy. Whips out a sword and cuts this dude's ear off, right? I mean, Jesus rebukes him, but you got to love Peter's zeal, right? I mean, 
He slices this guy off, and Jesus, in his love and in mercy and compassion, grabs it, grabs the ear, puts it back on. I, in, in, in other scriptures, it says the guy's name was Malchus. I often wonder if Malchus got saved. Because I don't know about you, if somebody sliced my ear off and it's laying there on the ground, right? And then all of a sudden Jesus comes along, scoops up my ear and puts it back on and completely healed me. I'd be like, wow, this guy's like the real deal, right? So I've often wondered if Malchus, if he ever got saved. But here it is, he sweeps it up and he puts it back on, right? I mean, he rebukes Peter. And basically in Matthew 26, 54, it says this, it says, But Jesus said to him, put your sword on it in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? A legion was between 100 and 480. So you can imagine how many angels this would be coming from heaven to protect him. And he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled? I'm going to do the will of my Father no matter what. I'm not going to let anything distract me. Basically, how then can the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen so? 72,000 angels he could have dispersed. And, one, and, and by the way, it took one angel to kill 155,000 Assyrians. I mean Syrians. It took one angel to kill the, all the firstborn in Egypt. And it took one angel to kill 70,000 people when da- David took the census. One angel. And so what he's saying is he's saying, God... My God is completely in control. Peter, everything is completely under control. My God doesn't need a defense. You do not have to defend my God. My God can defend himself. Yet Jesus goes willingly. And although this situation might look out of control to you, Peter, this situation might look out of control to you, whatever you're going through right now, But if you're a child of God, he is in absolute total control. His divine providence and sovereignty are in absolute total control of everything that is going on right now. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. And by the way, he has not fallen off his throne. Amen? And he's watching over his people. In John, verse 48 and 49, it says this. Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And John, it says that Jesus went out to meet them and asked, whom are you seeking? And this is cool. And John, it's a super cool, cool story because they walk out, they come, Jesus says, whom are you seeking? And they responded, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. The same covenant God, the same God Almighty at the burning bush. Jesus says, I am. And in John, it says, they all fell on their faces. They all fell completely prostrate. When when they heard Jesus said, I am he. Think about that for a minute. All of them, at least a hundred guys fell on their faces. Yet they get up. After hearing Jesus declare his covenant name. If you're a note taker, it's John 18, 4 and 5. You can read it yourself on your own time. And under the cover of darkness, they take him. And Jesus, full of courage, he doesn't waver against the will of God. 
He doesn't waver because he has a mission in his mind, and that mission is you and it's me to die for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. That's good news. So one of the things that stands out more than anything in this story to me is Jesus' courage. He was courageous, knowing what faced him, yet he didn't falter, he didn't weary, he didn't move. Judas missed heaven for 30 pieces of silver. And it wouldn't have mattered if it was a million dollars or $10 million or $20 million. Because of the covetousness in his heart, it's never worth it. And Judas missed heaven because Jesus didn't give him the power, the prestige, and the possession he wants. And I love it what it says in Mark 8.36. It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his soul. Friends, nothing is worth losing your soul for. Now, look with me. We're going to take another section here really quickly. The two go together beautifully. But in verse 53, let's read it together. They led Jesus away to the high priest. And listen how many people are involved here. They led Jesus away to the high priest. And all the chief priests, the elders... And the scribes, and by the way, the Sanhedrin, the 70 leaders of, of Israel. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with his servants, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin who were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against Jesus, and the testimonies did not agree. Agree. By the way, if you tell a lie, you ha- you, a lie is a lot harder to defend than the truth. Amen? And so they, they kept bringing in people to testify against him, but they could not get anybody to match up, to line up, right? So, th- so they, they, they got embarrassed, they got disgusted, they got angry. And some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree on this. But he did say that. He was talking about his body. Destroy this temple, and destroy this temple, he was saying, and it will be raised up in three days. Talking about his resurrection. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer? To what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am. There's that word again. The covenant keeping God Almighty. Fully God, fully man, the great I am. The preexistent one. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, Why do we need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, and say, Prophesy. The temple servants also took him 
and slapped him. Wow. Here they are. Slapping and beating the Son of God. And Jesus went through two different trials. He went through one with these guys, and then he went through another one with Pontius Pilate. And then the Gospel of God, we see uh, John. The Gospel of John, we see Jesus is taken to the rich side of town to the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas, and his name was Annas. He, Annas is arguably the most influential man in all of Israel, richest, most influential man. And you see, Caiaph, Caiaph, uh, Annas was supposed to be the priest for life. But when the Romans came in, they said, okay, this is too much power, too much consolidated power, so you can only be priest for, uh, I think it was a couple of years, okay? Like two to four years. Kind of, you know, terms like we should be having a lot on our congressmen and senators, but that's a whole other story. Anyways, what they did, what he did was, Annas came up with a plan. He said, he came up with a plan that he is going to put his family in there. Okay, so he had five sons, grandsons, and now his son-in-law was the high priest, Caiaphas. Okay, that's a Caiaphas was his name. So he had set up this racket, if you will, to make sure that his family stayed in power. Why? Well, Annas had this thing called the Bazaar of Han- Annas. And they would, people would bring, especially during Passover, millions of animals to sacrifice. And you would get to the temple to try to trade in one of your animals. The priest would inspect it and say, no, no good. And they would charge you double for another one, sometimes triple. And then the money changers, they would, they, you couldn't use foreign money, national money, or Roman money to, to exchange. You had to use temple currency. So you would have to t- bring your money to the temple... And I would bring $100 to exchange $100 of my Roman money, denarius, and I would bring it to them, and they would give me $50. Do you see the racket he had going on here? He made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And so he wasn't about ready to give up his power, his prestige, his position, or his possessions. And Jesus was a threat to all of those. They were not going to give up their, a dime of their money. Yeah, they claimed it was doctrine. They claimed it, you know, he twisted the scriptures. And yeah, they used that a little bit. But the bottom line was, it was always, bottom line was covetousness, covetousness greed, and materialism. And so these men did whatever they, again, it's starting to sound like politicians in Washington again, isn't it? Just can't get away from that. Both sides of the aisle. Always take, 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 right? Never give, give. What happened to the statesmen that used to live in this world? Anyway, sorry, getting on a mantra there. Stealing from the people. And so Rome sold this position to the highest bidder. And of course, once, once he got in, once Annas got in position, right, he could dictate who and what and where and everything else that would happen in this situation. Kind of a religious mafia, if you will. And so now, he wanted to get first take it at the first shot at Jesus. And so they bring him to Annas first. And Annas looks him over and tries to trick him and, and, and to, and, and, and to giving things up. And then finally, he sends them to Caiaphas, the high priest. They call the Sanhedrin, which is the seven, 70 leaders. There were also some elders and some scribes and some other people there. And they bring him in and... This is why Jesus called them, what, a den of thieves, right? 
And people would say, look, I came here to worship. I came to see the God of heaven. And I got extorted instead. I mean, think about this. Ripping people off in the name of God. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I think I've seen somebody on TV once. Let me see. Right? God is never happy when religious folks rip off people in the name of God and religion, ever. And so here we have this same kind of heart that we see in Judas, right? We see a materialistic, covetous, greedy, not willing to give up their power, their possessions, their prestige, or or, or anything else. And they're willing to do anything to keep it, including kill the precious Son of God. And you you can't look at this story and not step back and go, my goodness. Now I get why Jesus cleared out the temple, not once, but twice. Now I get why Jesus called them a den of thieves. And they were in control. And so they bring Jesus... You know, everybody's there. The Annas is there. The chief priests are there. Caiaphas is there. The Sanhedrin are there. The elders are there. The scribes are there. And they break every single law that they had written and that the Bible had straightened out. Not at night. Not during the feast or celebrations. No conviction of guilty could be made in one day. If it was death, they had to sleep on it all night to make sure the decision was true and righteous. It had to be at the temple, not at someone's house. All evidence had to be guaranteed by two witnesses, and they couldn't find anybody to to agree. All witnesses had to be interviewed separately, not together, in front of everybody else. That way, there was no contact with one another. They hear others' testimony. Any and all false witnesses were punishable by death. The case for his innocence was to be given before the case. But did you get that? If you witnessed falsely, you were put to death. Then the Sanhedrin was to give their verdict separately, beginning from the youngest to oldest, yet they violated every single one of those because of their hatred. Their hatred for Jesus. Do you know how many thousands of good stories? Hey, you know what? I saw Jesus heal the leper. Well, I saw, I saw him raise the dead. Man, Lazarus was dead and then he was alive. I, I saw, I saw you, you know, the, the, a crippled man walk. I saw the blind see. I saw the deaf hear. Testimony after testimony after testimony they could have brought for the power and the righteousness and the compassion and the love and the grace of, of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 61. But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? (laughs) Now finally, a, a, a question worth answering. And Caiaphas and Matthew said, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says, I am. And he says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Wow, if you think you got problems now, dudes, wait till he comes back, right? Oh, you might not be a believer now, all of you. There might be people sitting out here right now that are not believers. Trust me, 
There will come a day where you will see him coming in the clouds and you will be a believer. The problem is, is you will be on the wrong side of the cross. And by God, I don't want anybody, as Spurgeon says, I want everybody to trip over my dead body on the way into hell. Because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and Jesus right here, he says it very clearly. He kind of like rebukes them in Matthew 20, uh, uh, sorry, in, in verse 62. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Choose to believe me or not, you are going to bow. That's scary stuff right there, right? That's extremely scary. Now, way application, I want to just wrap this up. Materialism, greed, and covetousness destroyed the religious leaders' lives and Judas' lives. It destroys people's lives every single day. Anytime they choose anything over Jesus... They're giving him a Judas kiss. And I don't care what it is. You choose anything over Jesus. And that's a, that's a, that's a horrible place to live. And, and friends, I, I, I'm not telling you this to heap condemnation and guilt and shame on you. I'm telling the, you this because I want you to live abundant, fruitful, peace-filled, contented lives. And nothing will fulfill and give you contentment like Jesus Christ, period, the end. And and, and I see materialism and greed and covetousness and the want for more, power, prestige, position, possessions. I don't care what it is. Rob this country of what we used to be. It's destroying generations. In January 28, 1960 edition of the Washington Post, John Steinbeck wrote, he says, if I want to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. And I would have it on its knees. Miserable, greedy, sick. Wow. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver and the, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. If I was a graduate from high school right now and somebody would have told me that verse, it would have spared me so much grief. Money's not bad necessarily it's how you use it right it's whether you compromise god's word and the obedience to god's word like the religious leaders and judas did matthew 6 24 says no one can serve two masters since he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both god and money and so jesus is speaking here he says in Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Man, wish somebody would have told me that, right? I didn't get it. I spent the, from, from, from 17 years old until I was 30 doing nothing but more, 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 more. I got to have more. And, and when I got more, it was never enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then God came in and interrupted me and said, God, Garrett, there is so much more to life. I'm madly in love with you. And if you come with a journey with me, if you come on an adventure with me, if you walk with me, if you follow me, I will bless you. I will keep you. I will shine my face upon you. And at first I was like, 
man, are you sure, Lord? Because I can remember sitting at home, and I think I've shared the story before, my first Friday night after I'd come back to the Lord, and I'm like, dang, I'm bored, man. What am I supposed to do? Walking back and forth, scratching my head. I'm like, I am so stinking bored. Within three months, the Lord had me so busy. I was like, Lord, can I have a break? Because I purposed in my heart to follow him. Within three months, I was in Bible college, sitting at his feet, studying his word day in and day out. And I have never looked back since. Guys, it has been a wild ride. And he's never left me or forsaken me. And the closer I get to him, the more blessed I become. The more joy that I experience. He says they come to give life and life abundantly. abundantly. And so we need to search our hearts and make sure there's nothing that is superseding Jesus in our life. Whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil, we need to cut it off. And if there's a price that you can be bought for, or that you would forsake him for, Someone or something for a moment of pleasure or passion or desire or greed or covetousness. It's fruitless attempt to find contentment outside of God. I don't care relationship, career, whatever. <laughs> Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning, well, Garrett, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't use drugs, I haven't left my family, I haven't stole money from work. Like backsliding is just this, some kind of, kind of uh, uh, secret, dirty sins that we don't talk about or, or that nobody really does except in their minds, right? But, but it's not just that. Because the, if these religious people that were supposed to represent God And the nation, the chosen people of God, could fall into it. If Judas, who spent every day, three and a half years, being illuminated by the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, could slip into it. And I'm sure it didn't happen overnight with any of these guys. They were babies just like the rest of us, held in the mother's arm, raised to know the scriptures. (laughs) Read the scriptures around the table. Every single one of them, Judas knew the scriptures. Caiaphas knew the scriptures, Annas knew the scriptures, the Sanhedrin knew the scriptures, yet they missed Jesus. And people miss Jesus all the time in their religion. I had this one beautiful evangelical Lutheran couple that started coming to my church. And they'd been good. They were in their late 70s. Wasn't Missouri Synod and it wasn't Wisconsin Synod and the conservative Lutheran churches. This was the other one. They had sat in church since they were infants. They were baptized, christened, whatever you want to call it, sprinkled in the church when they were babies and they had grown up. And when I, one day I preached the gospel and I, said, and I gave, a, I gave a, a chance to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and they stood up. So I said it like five more times because I thought they were misunderstanding me. Then they started weeping. 
She died two years later. Look, you can sit under religion your whole life and miss it. Just like the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, and the scribes did. The people of God, the chosen nation of God, and they missed it. I do not want you to miss it. So what can we do? What do I do? The true definition of backsliding, moving from one place where the Lord, to, where the Lord was, the indisputable, unchallenged, uncontestable, unquestionable, undeniable, irrefutable place on the throne of your heart to somewhere else. So what can I do? I pray this sometimes daily, sometimes once a week. Maybe it'll help you, maybe it won't. But I pray this. I, this is me praying to the Lord. Lord, this is him. I got this out of my journal. Lord, is there anything in my life or any area of my life where I have sold you out? Jesus, do you have, is there anything that has the priority in my life today or right now? Lord, is there any area of compromise in my life? Does something have a foothold in my life? Some secret or, or, or hidden sin? And then I pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the, in the path of everlasting or in the everlasting way. If you pray that with a sincere heart before the Lord, I say, Lord, I don't want to give you a Judas kiss, man. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Search my heart. See if there's anything in me that, 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 that is displeasing to you. And then recommit your life fully to the Lord. Because, friends, there's a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Pharisee and a little bit of religion in every single person sitting out here. Otherwise, we'd be in heaven, right? So I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to stand up here and, and, and beat you guys into some kind of thinking that, that you know, ooh, covetousness, you're going to... It's not like that. It's like, guys, do you want freedom? Do you want victory? Do you want to walk in the joy of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord on a daily basis? Do you want to experience all that He has for you? He wants to download so much more into your life right now than you could possibly dream or imagine, but you have to get rid of you. Less of you, more of him. And then you will experience life to the fullest. You will, you will look back upon your life and go, man, this is what life, this is what he said come to, when he meant, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is what he meant when I come to give you life and life abundantly. This is what he meant when he said, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. This is what he meant. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That, that I could say in everything, in all circumstances and situations, I have learned to be content. How many of you want that? I know I do. And he's offering it to you as a free gift. It's part of his grace and his mercy, his compassion. For you, for his children, the children of God. He is madly in love with you. And he wants to pour this hope out into you. And God saw Judas' secret life. He saw his heart. And Judas had to be a hypocrite. He had to pretend in front of everybody else. 
He, act, he had to act like he was one of the crew. And everybody missed it. That's scary. That we can all look out here and go, oh man, that guy's such a godly man or woman. Or Garrett, hypocrite pastors all the time, right? And yet miss it. David, the man after God's own heart. And I'll close with this. In Psalm 19. Remember, this is the man after God's own heart, yet he killed his friend after he slept with his friend's wife, one of his mighty men. Yet God forgave him and restored him. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because <laughs> I haven't killed my friend or cheated on my wife lately, you know? Yet God even in the New Testament, calls him what? The man after God's own heart. And here he is sharing his heart. He says in Psalm 19, he says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Presumptuous. <laughs> then I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of great trans." Guys, everything else but Jesus is futile. Nothing but Jesus fulfills. Let me repeat, especially to the graduates, everything else in this life is futile. Only Jesus fulfills. Amen? Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, oh God, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. For anywhere that I've wandered from you, off the path, my heart and my mind, my hands with my mouth, with my feet, Lord, would you open up the floodgates of heaven and cleanse me with your blood right now? Wash me white as snow. Set my feet upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus. God, we're prone to wander. <laughs> Thank you that your rod and your staff, they comfort me because they gently bring me back on the path of righteousness. Lord, instead of a Judas kiss, may I quote the scripture, kiss the son. At least he'd be angry with you. May our kiss be katafaleo, a kiss of intimate relationship and passion and love for the great Savior that you are. May our lives be a life song to you. May, may everything that we do and think and say be a pleasing, sweet aroma before your throne and put a smile on your beautiful face. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.